Hi there, and welcome to the Daddy Juggle podcast. Erdem Kosh is my name, and whew, am I excited to bring you this episode featuring Jay Abassi. We are ultimately mindful and at peace when we allow things to be as they are without judgment. And what happens is the energy that we end up letting out, a one-year-old baby feels it. And as does everybody else and everything in your life will, will, I believe, and I see it all the time, life starts to unfold a bit differently. Jay is, well, a lot of things, but most importantly, a father to a nine-year-old girl. Jay works with corporate professionals as an executive coach, and he's a certified trainer in the area of mindfulness and meditation. The former, and in particular, the importance of being in the now, in the present moment, is a theme of this conversation. And other than having a huge man crush on Jay, the reason why I spend so much time talking to him about this is because it's something that I, as a father, and I know many fathers that I've spoken to struggle with, being in the moment, controlling your thoughts, being present with your child. It's all part of the juggle, right? Jay speaks about his own struggles and some moments of awakening, if you will, in his life that's led him to being at ease with himself and at ease with the present. We'll get to all that, but we start with what appears in his LinkedIn description, and that's that he's a non-fan of avocado. Well, here's the thing, man. I I recognize that there is a lot of health benefits to avocado, and I recognize it's a it's a good thing, good healthy food to eat. It's the texture. <laughs> it is a strange it, texture. It's strange. It you know, it's like is it a solid? Is it a liquid? What is it? It's like slimy. Is it a paste? You know. And the fact that I can't put my finger on what it really is, I think, bothers me. And so I just don't have a good relationship with textures like that. And the problem is one avocado is not the same as another avocado. So one might be a paste, but one might be, you know, an apples type sort of thing that you need to eat. Right. You go to a restaurant and they say with avocado, that could mean a lot of different things, <laughs> right? I find it funny that you put that in your LinkedIn profile, but hey, look, it got the conversation started. <laughs> right. It's funny that this, um, I put it in there as a joke and then it, that's exactly what ended up happening. So I got that, right? So we're going to talk about all things being a dad. But before that, tell me about yourself, Jay, because you do so many things. You run a business and you've worked in, in you know, multinationals in the past. Um, you, you do executive coaching, you speak, you practice mindfulness, all sorts of things. So give me the, the summary of Jay before we take it to, to what it's like to be a dad. You know, I've always been, um, I guess, someone who's always seeking, you know, always seeking, always learning, trying to get better, trying to improve. And, um, you know, years ago, Erdem, it was, uh, this path started for me. And then I, I, I faced some some challenges in my life, specifically when I lost my dad years ago. It's It kind of led to this kind of self-discovery. Like, what am I here to do? How am I here to serve? What kind of impact do I want to have? Like, all these questions started to hit me because, you know, my mortality was, was, was right there. You know, there's my, my father who uh, suddenly passes away and, you know, having to deal with that grief too. How do I deal with that? So it led me down this path and, and it started by going within through mindfulness and, and really understanding how I think and how I, my own, my own emotions and what's important to me. And 
I found that through that, it helped me to really refine my strengths and help me to get clear on my path forward. And it took, I took some risks, you know, and I, I joined this renewable energy company by the name of Solar City, which then was acquired by Tesla. And the, my skills really just started to develop. And uh, I was working with some great leaders at the time. And I went from being a salesperson to running a national training organization in about four, a little under four years. And then I decided, what's next for me? You know, I, it was, I felt like that chapter came to an end and I wanted to start a business on my own and be able to teach people the things that I learned, you know, where I was stuck. I now can help people to get unstuck. And that is whether they're stuck with feeling a lack of fulfillment in their life and their career, or they're feeling out of balance or feeling like they don't know what their, their passion is or their purpose is in life and how they can adopt it to a work or work that they can really enjoy and how they could do all this without having to work themselves to death, you know? So now I offer that through, uh, through coaching individuals to really, um, to find work that really lights them up where they can enjoy their lives and have balance. What was it about your father's passing? Do you think that triggered a lot of this stuff? The, the fact that it was so sudden hurt him, like, you know, he, he wasn't sick and, you know, you get that call. You know, I remember getting the call at 6am for my mom and just hearing her, her voice, just, I knew it was something terrible, you know, and that sticks with you. That's, that's, you know, that's the stuff that can change you. And it changed me, you know, it changed the way I see life as fleeting and not in a very, not necessarily in a very dark way these days, but I'm always aware of it, you know, that this now is all I really have. Who's to say that tomorrow I have my, you know, time to do this or that, where I put something off till a few months or a few, no, that, that is not true. There's nothing that I can point to to say that that's true. The only thing that my experience can show me that's true is all I have is right now, and I'm going to make the most of it. And so, yeah, I guess the sudden, uh, the suddenness of his passing and um, the realization that time is, is the one resource that we'll never get back. The system, though, and the universe tells you everything the opposite, right? It's not necessarily about the now. It's about what more do you want? What else can you do tomorrow? What's the future like? How much, you know, what's your investments like? How much money do you have saved up? How, what's your property portfolio like? What are you doing for your children? What, what, you know, uh, the pressure of that, uh, it's so easy to, well, easy is probably not the right word, but it's so natural to succumb to that versus doing what you're doing, right? Which is that that mindfulness and, and coming back to, to the moment. Absolutely. Well said, Ernema. It's a challenge that I think most of us are facing because uh, society is always telling us that, you know, you go on social media and this is what you see. You see all the things that you don't have, all the things that people are telling you you should do. All the, you know, the future is where your happiness is, is essentially what the, that messaging is saying. The future is where you're going to find it. But people get to the future and guess what? They don't find it there, right? Because it's never there. Because once you get there, then it's now in the future of that moment. And then it's in the future then. And it's so on and so on until you get to the point where you're, you know, 80 years old and like, where, wait, where was this happiness that everyone kept telling me about? Where, where am I supposed to find this? Right. And so I, I don't think it means that you don't plan. It's not that you don't, you know, secure a future for your family. It's not that you don't try and create something better. Of course you can. It's all about what's fueling it. If you're fueling that activity to say, oh, okay, I'm doing this because I will, it will bring me to happiness. Your approach is only going to leave you suffering and it's only going to leave you lacking. But if you approach it with, you know, I have everything I need right here, right now. 
My happiness is here. It's within me. I don't need anything to make me happy. And I am taking calculated risks or I'm planning so I can experience certain things in the future or provide for my family in a smart way because that's what I prefer. That, that to me is how I wish to plan the rest of my life. It's all about what's fueling the activity. And I hate to be the, the skeptic, but there's no, uh, there's no money in fulfillment, right, in this world. I mean, the whole idea of consumerism is that we keep wanting more and more and more and more and more. So the system is geared towards ensuring that you want more. And, I mean, we speak about that a lot in the context of material things, but it's not just that. It's the immaterial as well. It's, the, it's to your point, it's the happiness and the being content with life, which is you're constantly told is not quite there. You might think you're happy and content now, but imagine if you had this and that, and then you're going to get it even more and more. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a really, really fascinating uh, line of work that you're in. And I think we definitely need more of what's the reception like, I guess, of people that you work with when you speak to them in this way, obviously not speaking about individual clients, but when they come to you, what's sort of the, is there a common theme that they all have a default position that they come to you with? I guess the default is that um, people recognize that what's what they've been doing hasn't been giving them the real sense of happiness and contentment that they ultimately want. I think usually there is a recognition of the problem and they don't necessarily know how to solve it. They're waking up every day like, okay, I'm going to work and I, I hate it. You know, I hate going to work. It's It's not bringing me joy. You know, I, I wake up on a Monday morning and I just can't wait till I get to Friday. You know, I can't wait to the end of the week. And they're realizing that if they keep going this path, that they're not going to get what they're ultimately looking for. And they're, they're looking for another way. I think people are starting to wake up to this. And usually these are the type, these people have come to this realization already even before I meet with them, right? Now, on the other side, other side of it, do I sometimes encounter people who are very skeptical to this? Of course. And those people may not be ready for that kind of kind of awakening, right? This kind of waking up to, to the, the, the truth of it all, because they haven't really hit the pain point yet. They, they haven't hit that, that, that situation. You know, I'd say, look, as long as someone is happy and content and they are doing what they love, then they're good. Like leave them as they are. But what oftentimes is happening in society today is with all this go, 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 hurry, 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 next thing, next thing, grow, build, 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 right? It's draining. It burns people out. They are anxious. They are overwhelmed, and they're seeking another way. And I often, and oftentimes, what ends up happening is I help them to show them that way. Do you think COVID and the great pause of 2020 has assisted in your work? There have been two different kind of responses to this. Sort of. There have been people who, well, two is kind of simplistic, but oftentimes people fall into these two categories. Ultimately, what I'm seeing is that. People really have struggled with this situation and it's gotten really hard on them and they have isolated and really went into this kind of hermit mentality. And then others have saw this it's, and it's woken them up to a realization like, wow, I really can't control much of what's happening. <laughs> like this whole thing of uncertainty that I keep hearing a lot about, like there's so much uncertainty, there's so much uncertainty around the pandemic. My response to that is when was uncertainty not here? <laughs> you know, it's always uncertain. This is just making you realize that it is, which, hey, that's a good thing. You're realizing it. All right, now what are we going to do? And so there we, I've worked with clients to really identify, okay, 
if you're realizing that things are uncertain, you're realizing that now is all you have and you don't want to waste any more time, let's go ahead and start to build the life and career that you ultimately really want. And let's start now while never forgetting to enjoy each step of the process. That's fascinating because November 2019, where we all sitting there thinking, oh, next year is so certain. We know exactly what's going to happen to the world and, and you know, world wars or, you know, global economies and all the uh, personal situations. That That's it, oh, it's easy. 2020 is easy. You know, I speak so much to, to people about what have they learned from, from 2020 and what, what is now, you know, lingering into halfway through 2021. And it's things like, I've realized the relationships I have in my life are the most important thing. And I just think you didn't know that in 2019. And it's and I'm not judging, right? But what is it about your life that made you think there were other things that were more important? Career, money, status, whatever it is. Why was it not relationships that were the most important thing? And and the lessons, you know, uh, if we treat our planet better, it's going to be cleaner. Okay, it took us to stay at home for a year to realize that it's <laughs> it's been a it's been a fascinating year. But I think you know we haven't spoken about fatherhood yet, but this is all incredibly relevant. So as we get into that, let's just start with the obvious. Tell me uh, about your about your girl uh, who recently had a birthday. So a big happy birthday to her! Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, so my daughter is nine, and she uh, she just turned nine, and I spend a lot of time with my daughter. She is a big part of my life. And while I'm, I stay busy as a coach and I, I do a lot of different things, you know, I do speaking events and I, you know, I work with clients. I do uh, live broadcasts. I do content on LinkedIn. I do all this stuff. The time with her, I don't sacrifice. And it has to do with what we were talking about earlier, you know, the realization that I had years ago uh, where I lost my dad. And, you know, of course, would I have loved more time? Yeah, of course I would have, you know, I would love to have more time. And I just never want that to be her experience. You know, uh, I always want her to think, hey, my dad put me first. He always gave me that time. He showed up at my games. You know, he uh, we, we cuddled up and watched Pixar movies. I mean, I can't tell you how many of these Pixar movies I've watched. You know, like uh, we oh, I always made time for her, not just on the weekends. That's not enough. Almost every night of the week, I make time for her. And is that, oh, I mean, of course it is a conscious effort, but is, is that challenging given that, well, you work for yourself and, and you need to chase clients and to, in order to be able to financially support both your, yourself and her? Does that sort of come into to conflict at, at any point? And if so, how do you deal with it? The only time it comes into conflict, what I might say, is not when I, uh, not a matter of this push and pull that I have. I set those boundaries. You know, it's kind of like you said, it's a conscious thing. Yeah, I set those boundaries and they're firm. Client, unfortunately, I cannot meet with you at this time because this is the time that I have for my daughter. There's an opportunity. The opportunity would mean that I have to sacrifice a time that I would go to my daughter's spring concert. Nope, the opportunity is not for me, period, end of sentence. Now, the time it becomes challenging is more of the situations where she's, let's say, off of school for a week for spring break. We were talking about that before we were recording a little bit. And so in that situation, it really saddens me when you know she's on tv or something or like she has to i have books and you know she's reading books and i don't have anything for her to do and she wants to hang out with me and i can't because it's the middle of a wednesday that's the hardest part for me and how i manage it is i i have to tell i have to set expectations with her she's nine so she understands now right like you know sweetheart i'm gonna be working between this hour and this hour 
I'm going to make a break for lunch. We'll have maybe a little bit of time to hang out outside after lunch. You know, I'll give her like 15 minutes in the middle of the day. Then I'm daddy's going to have to get back to work. And then at night we're going to hang out. As long as I set that expectation with her, I'm very blessed. She's a very understanding child. So as a father, it's all about kind of getting um, agreement with her on days like that of how we're going to basically work together to make sure that she's busy and that daddy can still get his work done. Yeah, I like that a lot. How did you deal with it in the earlier years, though? Because one thing I've realized that has helped with me in the days that, you know, I'm not working from home and I have to go out uh, is when I'm coming home, what I would usually do is listen to a podcast or some music or whatever it might be that would sort of stimulate the brain. And so I'd come home already exhausted from the day and then I've just consumed all this content in the drive home and I've come home and I'm just sort of still quite wired up from from the exhausting day. One thing that I've been doing lately, which I think has worked, is actually don't listen to anything in the car and use that 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is, to take deep breaths, to think about the day, to almost spew out everything from the day and do all my reflecting then, which I traditionally perhaps would have done after dinner, get it out of my system because I know as soon as I walk in the front door and my daughter hears my footsteps coming down the hallway, she's going to crawl over from the lounge room from whatever she's doing and, you know, want to be picked up and want daddy time. Uh, I found that worked for me. What has worked for you, I guess, particularly in those early years when your daughter didn't have the, the you know, the maturity that she has now to, to be able to sort of enter into a contract with you to say, you know, either this is daddy time, this is alone time now. I, I think that's a great practice, what you're doing. That's fantastic. And... For me, it had a similar, what I would do is, you know, you pull up into the driveway and in the car, I would turn it off and I would just sit there for a minute or two and let that be a moment of meditation for me of just breathing, being still, letting go of all that was happening. And then when I leave the car, it's like I leave fresh and then I walk into the house or wake into the apartment. So that was my, my way of doing it. And here's the thing, man, like if we don't do those things, we can't be fully present with our kids. Our minds are going to be primed to keep thinking about the next thing or replaying all the things that happened earlier, planning out what's tomorrow, and our, and we're not there. So I would encourage anybody who has felt this pull of their thoughts away from the present moment to make time. Prime yourself before you go into that time with your children so they can get all of you during that time. And of course, complicating all of that is technology, right? So easy to say and, and to blame, but we are we are addicted. We're addicted to our devices. And it's so easy to reach over and, and have a quick scan of, of your emails or social media or whatever it may be that you're looking at to be distracted. And it's, I don't know how our parents did it, but it, it's it's such a conscious effort. I actually have to make sure the phone is out of reach from me when I'm on the floor rolling around with my daughter. It's like I can't help myself. Like, I'll, I will reach for it. If I hear it go off, I will reach for it. So, to me, it's if I get home at, say, 5.30 that day and I know my daughter, I've got two hours before my daughter's going to go to bed. And that two hours is full, right? It's, it's dinner time. It's bath time. It's reading time. It's whatever it is. But my phone is on silent and it's away, so far away that I can't reach it. And I just think, you know, my wife is less addicted to her phone, luckily, uh, has her phone allowed. So, if I, you know, I have obviously aging parents, aging grandparents. If anything happens to them, they'll call her. I'm protected in, in a way. But you have to, I've, I've found that you almost have to create your sanctuary. Otherwise, 
the world comes and gets you, man, one way or the other. The world finds you in this day and age. If you allow them to, yeah. yeah. Right? And you have a great practice there of putting the phone away. I don't have my phone on vibrate or ringer ever, ever. Wow. It is sil on silent 100% of the time. Wow. I get that reaction all the time. You know, here's the thing, Artem. To this time, to this point, I've done this for years now, but I don't want to say two years. In this past two years, there has been one occasion, one where it was a problem, where there was an actual like emergency and I didn't know. And it wasn't really that much of an emergency, by the way. It was a false alarm type of emergency. In any other instance, what ends up happening is I miss the call or I miss the text. And when I make time to look at my phone, I respond. It's never been a problem for me, not once. Now, other people in their different businesses and lives, I don't mean to push, I never push that on people. Because like you said, you might have a parent, grandparent who's, <laughs> you need to be there for them. But realize it's not as, or what you think is urgent or you need to respond urgently to is most likely not as urgent as you think it is. You can most likely set those boundaries and everything's going to be okay. And guess what? You're going to be able to be more present with the people who are you, you're really around. And this is why, you know, I love spending so much of the first part of this talking to you about mindfulness and, and being present because when I speak to fathers on, on this podcast or, or friends who are new fathers, it is by far the number one thing that comes up almost every time. I struggle to be present. I'm either reaching for my phone, as we just discussed, my thoughts, you know, I can't juggle everything that's happening in my life. You know, my kids are screaming at me in the morning and I just want to get them in the car so I can get them to school so that I can get to work. You know, the day sort of starts in their head. And this is why I think it's absolutely fascinating. By the way, the only thing I've been able to achieve that with is emails. So when I know it's focus time for me because I need to smash out something, I will, you know, close off my email so I don't get the notifications, right? And on weekends, I definitely do that. Um, Good. But, you know, on my laptop, make sure because you can't, you know, you read the preview and then you go, oh, I'll just quickly respond. So, you know, you're allowing others to interrupt your day. It's sort of right. akin, and I talk about this a lot in my work, it's akin to, you know, leaving your door open when you're trying to focus and just allowing people to walk in and out without knocking, right? It's exactly that. Coming back to the, to the point of being present, it, it is the thing that people struggle with the most. So I, that's why I gave the reaction that I think everyone does to you to say, well, you d it's it's on your terms that you take a telephone call or a text message, right? That that's that's incredible. That gives me anxiety just thinking about that. By the way, <laughs> yeah, I get that response too. You know, it was like um, something where I just got fed up, or I just got fed up really with constantly as someone who is learning a practitioner of mindfulness meditation and also teaching and coaching others. I felt it was really important that I exemplified it. I felt it was really important that I embodied it. And I felt like I couldn't because of the constant buzz, 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 beep, 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 noise. Like it was taking me away from the present moment throughout my day. And I realized, let me give this a shot. And then, you know, the first day, the next week, a month, and two years later, it has had no real negative impact on my business and on my relationships. And um, when I'm, you know, playing with rolling around on the floor with my daughter, I'm similar. My phone is in a different room. It's in a drawer somewhere. Uh, it doesn't need to be around. It, it really doesn't. And there's this one stat that I saw research on distraction and what, what actually happens when we get distracted. I think the research said that every time that we get pulled into our minds, get distracted into a different task. It takes us on average 
27 minutes to get back into the flow of what we were doing before. And that to me was a mind blowing statistic, which suggests not only, obviously the bigger issue is we're not present with the people who matter most and the people we love, right? But we're also much less effective in the work that we're doing or whatever it is, the task that was in front of us, because by getting distracted and having to come back, we lose that time of continuing to flow in the work that we were doing. Does that make sense? Perfectly. I think that was in a TED talk or something. I'm pretty sure I've heard that exact same stat. And I remember thinking the same thing as you. Like, I thought that they'd say 20 seconds or 30 seconds. I mean, 27 minutes of your life. And how many times every a day time. do we pick up the phone? Every time. Yeah, every time. Tell me about some of the favorite things that you've experienced about being a dad to a nine-year-old. What are some of the, the highlights uh, either today or in the last nine years that you've gone, you know what, that, that's been pretty awesome. I'll tell you about what happened about an hour ago. Oh, sure. So, yeah. So about an hour ago, um, my daughter came, she came home from softball practice and I was in my office and she kind of pulled me into the sofa and I said, all right, let's go. And we're kind of just rolling around. And all she's really trying to do is make me laugh. That's all she's trying to do. Like anything she would, she was doing anything to just make me laugh. So whether that was a fart noise whether that was talking funny, whether that was tickling me. And it was just so, I was watching this. I was observing her behavior. And I was like, all this child wants is to see me happy. And I thought that was so cool. I thought it was so cool to see my daughter with this intention, this kind of selfless intention, right? Of, I just want my dad to be happy and to be laughing. And it makes her happy and it brings her joy. So those little things stand out to me when, you know, we have those that kind of bonding, that kind of connection where it's, it's simple. It's nothing over the top. It's just laughter for the sake of laughter. And has your work in mindfulness meditation, all the things that you do helped with the realization of that? Oh, absolutely. You know, the way I like to think of it is, uh, if you practice mindfulness for an extended period of time, you learn to savor the moments. So a simple example would be years ago, if my daughter would give me a hug, you know, I'd take the hug and then that was it, you know? And today when she gives me a hug, I hold on to it for just a little bit longer and experience it just a little bit more fully. And that sounds like it's something small, but to me, it's very, very big. And for those who have children, you know how important it is to savor those moments. And I've felt that I can relate to those moments better. I can fully embrace that moment. So yeah, I can appreciate the little things a lot more today than let's say six or seven years ago when she was younger. And it does, because to your point, the world is so distracting. It is such a conscious effort, isn't it? I remember we were on uh, on vacation down the coast earlier in the year during the, during the Melbourne summer. And, um, you know, we, we've had sleep issues with my almost one-year-old now for almost a year. <laughs> so what have? And you know, my wife was was getting fed up. She just wouldn't sleep. And I said, Look, "Give it to me. I'll, I'll take her to the you know down to the water to the beach, and um, I'll just sort of stand there, let the let the waves hit my feet, and uh, and you know, maybe with the sounds of the waves and in my arms, she'll just sleep." And I remember sort of walking up and down, looking at her, thinking, "Just go to sleep. Like what? I mean." There is no reason for you now to be awake. You know, you just sleep. And she wasn't, right? And then 
I looked at her and I looked around me and I thought to myself, you know, I have everything I need in the world right here, right now. I am on an amazing beach in, in one of the best countries in my view in the world. My wife is in, like, I can see her. She's sitting there just, you know, enjoying a cold bottle of water looking out into the distance. Yeah, Adele's not sleeping, but she will at some point. And, you know, just let just enjoy it. The sun's on my back, the water's on my feet, kids are running around yelling. This is an amazing moment. And of course, the moment I did that, she was out. Wow. <laughs> and I thought to myself, this cannot be luck. I mean, that she has felt my energy just drop to a point of peace. You know, it's not something that comes naturally. We're wired to negativity. The world is wired to negativity. For us to offset that, we have to work with people like yourself or listen to the work of people like yourself. And it's something that you need to do proactively. It doesn't happen just by itself, right? Right. Really well said. And that's a great story, Artem. It's being intentional. You know, I, I the, the mind is not wired to do those kind of things. The mind is wired to constantly solve problems and to judge and to see what's wrong with the situation. That's what the mind is built for. It's designed that way, right? And we are in a society that consistently conditions the mind to do more of that by showing you all these different problems and all these things you should be focusing on and distracting you all the time. But what happened to you on that beach was you let go of all of it. You dropped it and you were fully present and you allowed things to be as they are. And that's really what this comes down to, man. Uh, you know, in the simplest and you know, the most direct teaching, we are ultimately mindful and at peace when we allow things to be as they are without judgment and what happens is the energy that we end up letting out a one-year-old baby feels it and as does everybody else and everything in your life will will i believe and i see it all the time life starts to unfold a bit differently and things just start to happen when you get into that kind of flow of allowing things to be as they are and to be okay with the situation as it is. It doesn't mean you don't do anything to fix situations if you have to step in, but it means that you, you, you're not adopting this mindset of, I constantly have to fix this or escape from this or change this. To me, it's, it annoys me that we have to work on that as individuals because we're raised in a world where we're told, here are things how they should be. And you know, parenting is exactly the same. There are I say this ironically on a parenting podcast, but this is not a, you know, here's how you be a father podcast, but there's so much of them, right? This is how you raise your child. And so much, so many times over the past year, I feel like we failed because our kid doesn't sleep and everyone else's kids sleep, apparently, because that's what social media tells you, you know, but it's like, well, you know what? We, we have an amazing kid and, you know, one day she's going to sleep and she might drive us crazy between now and then, but, you know, it'll happen. So I, I think that's an excellent point to, to you know, let things be the way they are. The difference of learning versus unlearning. I feel like the, the process for me has become much more of this unlearning process than it is of a learning process. To unlearn all this conditioning, to unlearn the way in which we were taught to think and, and behave, you know, this, this belief that true happiness is only there if you succeed like it's all about the success and what the success idea is and i think that we are as a you know we're seeing it right we're talking about it and we're seeing more people discuss this that your well-being your relationships like you described how some people have responded to this pandemic right these are the things that are most important 
focus your attention on these things. And I promise you the money and all this success that you, you know, that you were initially after will be a byproduct. It'll come. And it's such a good point to end on. Jay, thank you so much for your time. I could talk to you about this for, for hours, but uh, we'll actually let you get back to, to being a dad. So <laughs> I appreciate your time a lot, man. Thank you. Absolutely. It was wonderful. Thanks for having me. And that's the episode of The Daddy Juggle. I've been your host, Erdem Kosh. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.